Good morning, family. Uh, last night, uh, Impact Campus Ministries held their, uh, we held our uh, welcome home final give dinner here at the church, and uh, we had Marty Solomon, who is our president uh, of our organization, our ministry organization, come and, and speak uh, to the crowd. And it was, a, it was a really beautiful night of celebration and thanksgiving for God's faithfulness. Uh, it was just a really wonderful night. But the one thing that uh, was a little bit different is when, when Marty speaks uh, to a crowd that maybe doesn't know him, all of those uh, living stones appropriate comments just kind of fell like a brick. Well, that's not going to happen this morning because, and one of the reasons is because Marty is like family to us. Even though he hails from uh, Moscow, Idaho, anytime he has an opportunity to get back, uh, he is like one of us. Agreed? Agreed? And so we're just so glad to have him back here to uh, break uh, uh, bread with us and, and open up uh, the Word of God uh, to us this morning and be an encouragement uh, to us as a family. And so we welcome Marty to the stage. Good morning, Living Stones. I do love it here. I mentioned in first service, anybody that does community meditation with a t-shirt that has Jesus riding on a dinosaur has my full attention. (laughs) My full attention. Um... So yeah, I want to I start this morning by, they told me I could preach on whatever I wanted, so buckle up. <laughs> and you guys are second service, so there's nobody coming in after you, so we just go until we're done. Um, so I, I wanted to talk this morning, I wanted to begin in the beginning, because I always feel like it's a good place to start. So we have this story, it begins really with the Spirit of God hovering over these chaotic waters. So the Spirit of God, and the word is merachefet for hovering. Say merachefet. Uh, uh, I've been told this is a reference to a... Uh, I have a picture of a dove doing this. Apparently there's only one species of dove that lives in the Middle East that does this thing. It sits and it just hovers like a hummingbird, but its wings aren't moving fast. It just, just stays there. And I have a picture of one doing it, but it's a photo, so... I'm like, look, Merahefet, and everybody's like, it's a bird. Um, The idea here, though, is you've got this watery chaos. The Hebrew is tohu vavohu. Say tohu. Vavohu. Wild and waste, uh, formless and void. Really means if you put uh, nothing in a blender and hit whip. (laughs) You get chaotic nothingness, right? You get chaotic nothingness. That's the, the world was chaotic nothingness, and the Spirit of God just merahefet, right over the chaos. And the idea rabbinically is, is that the moment that the Spirit of God just kissed the chaos, order sprung forth. And so God says, well, well, let's separate light from darkness. And God's like, oh, that's so good. And then God says, let's separate the waters above from the waters below. And apparently God has nothing to say about that. If you don't believe me, go check. And, and then in day three, God says, well, let's separate land from sea. And God's like, oh, it's so good. And then God says, well, let the land produce vegetation. And God's like, oh, it's so good. God's like a kid in Toys R Us, you know? He's just like, oh. And in fact, the rabbinic tradition, there's this we in Genesis 1. Like, uh, let us make man in our image. And of course, Christians were always like, oh, the Trinity. They didn't think that originally. <laughs> I was supposed to laugh at that. Nobody laughed at that. <laughs> 
They didn't believe in the Trinity when they wrote Genesis. So what's going on there? Like, and they had this. They have this understanding that like God was speaking to. And in, in one in one tradition, the other pagan gods. They're all like he's there amongst the pantheon. In, in other, he's just with the angelic beings. But God's like a kid in Toys R Us. Like, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. God like creates the sun, the moon, the stars. God's like, oh, it's so good. And God fills the sea with living creatures, and He fills the sky with birds. And He's like, oh, it's so good. And then, and then God, God creates animals, and then God creates man and woman, both. And, and he steps back, and he's like, that is real good. That's very good. The Hebrew is tov meod. Say tov meod. God, God gets done making humanity, and he steps back, and he just, that is very good. There is nothing. One rabbi that I've learned under talks about how a, a true artist has to know when to stop creating. Um, like, like when you're making the Mona Lisa, which I've heard is a horrible example because apparently Da Vinci worked on that until the day he died. Anyway. <laughs> but imagine like the, the sculpture David, the famous sculpture of David. Imagine one more chisel stroke. You, you, you ruin it. Like you have to know when to stop. You have to know when because one more brush stroke you know, cancer has affected all of us. You know what cancer is? Uh, I'm no scientist, but what's been explained to me is cancer is this thing that never stops creating. That's why it's so dangerous. It just keeps creating and keeps creating. A true creation, appropriate creation, has to know when to stop creating. And so God looks at creation after he's made humanity, and he says, one more brushstroke. There's nothing more. There is nothing more. God didn't leave one ounce out of creation. And he stops, and then he just says, join me in enjoying the goodness. Like there's a refrain at the end of every single day, evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. You get to the seventh day where God does nothing, he Sabbaths, he rests, and there's no refrain. There's no evening and morning the seventh day. It's almost like the Sabbath is kind of like... Which the rabbis say is this, it, it, the Sabbath is an ongoing invitation. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this. Since there's still a Sabbath rest for us to enter into today, let us make sure that we enter into that Sabbath rest. Like, there's this ongoing invitation. Just, just join me in trusting. God says, just join me in trusting the goodness. And so in Genesis 1, the world really looks like this. This idea of heaven and earth, it's just one world which is like impossible for us to get our mind around in our Greek-influenced Christianity. Like, in Genesis 1, there was no other place. <laughs> there was no heaven. Like, there was no, like, heaven and then earth. Like, it was all just creation. It was heaven and earth together. Heaven and earth together. And then, so what happens in Genesis 3 is these two things get pulled apart and now all of a sudden in Genesis 3, all this disorder comes and there's this pulling, there's this tearing apart of heaven and earth. And so in a lot of ways, this story is about heaven and earth like needing to come back together because this reality that we live in, we live in the reality of the sin, of the struggle, of the rebellion, of the tearing, but everything in us, like Romans says, all creation is like yearning for the reunification. At the end of the story, we don't get beamed out of here. 
<laughs> like, I got to fly back to Idaho so I can jack up your eschatology and just say, see ya. <laughs> we don't. Not in the Bible. We don't get beamed out to some other place. It's not some glad morning when this life is o'er. I'll fly away. I, I was glad that wasn't the closing song this morning. And if it was, they changed it. Um, so there is no... There what, at the end of the book of Revelation, John says, I saw heaven coming down. And these two things get to be one again. At the, end, at the beginning of the book, there is no other place. And at the end of the book, there is no other place. Does that make sense? There is this heaven and earth thing, and we live in a world where these two things... And so what does God do? I often talk about Genesis as a, kind of the preface and the introduction to God's narrative. Because the narrative of God is really is about the narrative of God's people. And it really begins in Exodus. Like the narrative of God is about liberation and Exodus on every page, all the way. And it really begins in Exodus. Genesis is where we get the big ideas. Like what are the big players? It's like reading Harry Potter and like, okay, well, what is Hogwarts? Like, you know, like I, there has to be like some introduction to where I learn like who is God and who are we and what's going on in the world and what are the big ideas? Okay, now that you're ready, let's start the story. That's what Genesis really is, is these big ideas. So we get to Exodus, and the story begins, and what is it that God's going to do with his people to kind of address this tearing apart here? And we get to Exodus, and this happens. God constructs a tabernacle or a temple. And this isn't a whole lot different than the pagans in some respects, because the pagans have the same idea. The temple or the tabernacle is a physical space that gets created where heaven and earth get to kind of mingle again. It's this physical space. By the way, the Jews also have a non-physical space. It's called Sabbath. One of the only faith groups to create a space in time, Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote. Because pagans always love to create physical spaces, and yet God's people created a time space. These are spaces that we create where heaven and earth kind of get to mingle. And I wanted to show you like how inherent this actually is in the text. And so I have kind of an uh, 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 an awkward, like, I'm going to break some rules of what you're supposed to do when you preach, but I'm at Living Stones. And you guys are like, rules? We didn't know there was rules. I didn't read any rules when I came in. They're not in the bulletin. I checked. Um, so, so I'm going to need some help. I need some readers. I'm going to need seven people that are willing to read, that have their Bible. So you need to have your Bible, and you're willing to read. Yes? Do you have both of those things? No? Okay. I'm going to need seven people that can do that. And they're going to read this verse nice and loud. You're going to think I gave you the wrong verses. I did not. I've done this lesson a lot. Okay? I make no mistakes here. Okay? I make a lot of mistakes elsewhere, but not here on this slide. Okay? So I need somebody who's willing to read Exodus 25, verse 1. Okay, first service was way better at this than you guys are. Over here, do we got 25 verse 1? You got 25 verse 1? Excellent. Who wants to give me Exodus 30 verse 11? By the way, this did not work well in first service either. Like, of all the times I've done this, it was like, it was like what we have? Don't even, you got, does I have somebody back here with 30? Okay, you got 30 verse 11, and then 30, 17, somebody else have a Bible? 30, 17, do you guys bring your Bibles here? Do you guys believe in the Bible here? <laughs> 30, verse 17, who's got it? Somebody back here, somebody raise their hand. Somebody, help me, okay, 30, verse 17. Okay, I'm gonna need four more, so prepare yourselves. Uh, 30, verse 22, right there, okay? And then how about 30, 34a, and you're like, how do I know what a is? Trust me, if you're paying attention, you'll know. 
Um, 30, 34A. Okay, right there. Right there, 30, 34A. How about 31-1? 31-1, all the way in the back there, 31-1. And then one more, 31-12, right here, 31-12. And I want you to be ready with the verse that follows, too. Okay? Just, just keep it open. Keep your finger in your smartphone so you can just flip it. Okay. Thank you, that was a joke. Okay. Somebody give me 25-1. Give it to me. Darn smartphones, get you every time. Just a minute, hold while we process your request. Twenty-five one. See, we think technology is this great thing. And the Jews are like, if you just memorize this stuff, you don't have this problem. See what I did there? <laughs> yeah. Okay, twenty-five one. The Lord said to Moses. Okay, somebody give me uh, verse thirty or uh, chapter thirty, verse eleven. Who had that one? Excellent. You guys are getting the hang of this. Okay. How about uh, 30, verse 17? You guys are much better than first service. Okay. 30, verse 22. Excellent. How about 30, 34a? Excellent. How about 31, 1? Okay. Darn translation put spoke in there. Okay. And then uh, how about uh, 31, 12? Okay, now how many of, uh, you're like, well, that wasn't very fun. Not like what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> how many were there? Can you think of anything else that was created with seven and the Lord says? And if you're like, okay, but that's just a coincidence. Hold on. Give me the next verse of the seventh and the Lord said. Oh, come on. This is the story of the creation of the tabernacle. So God's saying, okay, now create this. Okay, now create this. Now create this. And the seventh one, isn't even God creating anything? The seventh one just happens to be. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to have a Sabbath. I want you to observe Sabbath. Uh, okay, well, uh, nah, that could still be coincidence. Okay, okay. Uh, how about, l- listen to how Genesis, the story of creation, ends. Watch this. So by the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God finished the work, okay? Uh, on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Well, let's go to the end of the tabernacle. Look at this. And so Moses finished the work, same Hebrew phrase. What about the, how about just a little bit earlier at the end of uh, 39? The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work, saw that they had done it just as the Lord commanded, so Moses blessed them. Uh, By the way, uh, at the end of creation, God, so Torah, in the Jewish world, Torah is called a lot of things, rabbinically. Torah, even before Jesus, decades before Jesus, they called Torah the good shepherd, they called Torah the door, they called Torah um, uh, the vine, 
Not, not typically we have one reference to that. They called Torah uh, a lot of things. One of the things they called Torah was the tree of life. Now, at the end of the creation story, uh, Genesis ends with what guarding the tree of life? Cherubim. Somebody said it. Cherubim. It's an angel. In the, to- in the tabernacle, the Torah sits in the Ark of the Covenant, which sits in the Holy of Holies. What guards the Holy of Holies on the curtain? Cherubim. You see, the tabernacle is a mobile creation story because the tabernacle is this mingling. You, you get to experience in a, in a brief space for a moment this heaven meets earth physical space that gets created. Now, the sages and the rabbis picked up on this. They have a lot of conversation that swirls around this. But I'll, I'll, I'll reduce it, one of my favorite strands, to say this. It's like the first time the rabbi said, God said this. He said, at creation, he said, I'll create the space, and I want you to fill it. I'll create creation, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, God said. The first time God said, I'll create the space, I want you to fill it. How did that work out? Not all that well, right? <laughs> if you know the spoiler alert, not well. So, so, so later, the rabbi said what God did was God said, okay, let's try this a different way. You create the space, and I'll fill it. Now, some teachers, like the ones that taught me, said that in this there lies an inherent promise that I believe with all my heart. If you create space for God, God will fill it. If you create space for God, he will fill it. Not might fill it, will fill it. Now, he may not fill it the way you want him to fill it. Mark my words. It may be a very uncomfortable filling. And also might be an uncomfortable feeling, but nevertheless. It got, you create space, and God will fill it. I remember learning this lesson. The guy who had my job before me, his name was Bill Westfall. He was the last president of Impact. And before I ever worked for Impact Campus Ministries, he was a mentor of mine. I was pastoring a church, and I, was, I started when I was 18 years old. I think Bill showed up when I was like 20. And I was just like going. I was pastoring this church. I'm just going, going, going. And I had all the church growth principles, and I had all the booklets, membership class, and I had all the things that we were going to do, and I was going to show up for all the small groups, and I was going to recruit all the people for all the stuff, and I was going to blah, 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 blah. And Bill showed up, and I think he was like, you are messed up. (laughs) And I think he was trying to figure out how to talk to me and how to start mentoring me. And so he invites me to this Impact Campus Ministries orientation on BSU's campus. Uh, I was in Boise, Idaho. And uh, so we were on Boise State University. There was like three students there, and I'm in the back of the room. And Bill's like, here's the premise of everything that we do. We believe that if you pursue intimacy with God, he's going to bear fruit in your life. And the only thing that matters is whether or not you pursue intimacy with God. And I was like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I got to go back and I got to do my own stuff. No, I'm going to waste my time with all the pursuit of God stuff. And so, Bill, I think, I think he went home that night and he went, man, this is going to be a hard nut to crack here. So he comes a little bit later, and he, I can't remember, we're at the church, and I remember Bill coming to me and he's like, you know, I, I had a challenge for you, and I wanted to talk to you about it, and uh, you know what, you couldn't do it. And I was like, oh, oh, oh don't tell me I can't do something, Bill. <laughs> it's not going to go down like that. Bill's like, no, no, I've, I've thought about it, and... Uh, 
I was gonna, I, I prayed about it, I thought I should, and you know, I just, you just, you couldn't do it. I can do anything, Bill. There's nothing you're going to tell me I can't do that. I, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. What do you want me to do, Bill? Bill's like, okay, here's, here's the deal. This Saturday, I want you to, and this is before I was uh, observing my Jewish heritage, before I had Sabbath built into my life. I was, and, and, and Bill said, I want you to take a Bible and a sack lunch. I lived right by a lake. I lived in Nampa, Idaho, right by Lake Lowell. And and, and uh, you were a part of my life before we ever met. Um, and, and, and he says, take a, take a sack lunch and a Bible and just go out to the lake. And I'm like, okay. He says, I want you to start at like 8 or 9 in the morning. I don't want you to be done until like 4 or 5. I said, okay. Eight hours, got it. What do you want me to do? He's like, nothing. I was like, what? He's like, I want you to do nothing. I don't, have, I don't have that kind of time to wait. I'm not going to waste my whole, a whole Saturday. I got stuff I need. He's like, I told you you couldn't do it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this one time just to, just to get him off my back, and I'm moving on next Saturday. It cha- that day changed my life. Like, it took me three hours to just shut my brain off. I'm not kidding. That's not an exaggeration. It took me three hours for my brain to stop moving. When it finally stopped moving, it was like God had been speaking the whole time and I just hadn't shut up long enough to listen. And you remember that story about Elijah and the still small voice? It was like God, it was, like God was just talking right here. He had been talking the whole time and he was not going to shout over the top of everything else going on. But he said, if you ever just want to stop just long enough just to, just to listen to what I'm saying, I'm never going to stop talking to you. I'm never going to stop pursuing you. Never going to stop being there for you, but I will not shout over everything else that you do. But the moment that you create space for me, I'll be here every single time. There was this like, oh my goodness. I started, I, I was hearing things about my marriage all of a sudden, like I was married, <laughs> like I had a wife. Because <laughs> I had been like, we're going to, can you go pick up the stuff and give me there for the thing? And we're going to change the world and blah, 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 blah. And, and it was like, for the first time, I was like, oh. Like things that I was hearing so clearly just because I stopped. Listen, if we are not going to create space for God, I do not know why in the world we think he's going to shout over everything else that we're giving ourselves to. Why he's going to somehow, and praise God he does, amen? Like praise God that he's loving enough and that he does in spite of us so many times break in and yell at us and shout at us and get our attention. But why, why would we ever think that he would? But listen to me, if you will create space for God, he will fill it. And so we do these things that we've called for thousands of years, uh, Christian disciplines, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. We, we do things. And what are they? They're really just creating space for God. And we, you've created space for God this morning. You've created space. You've carved out space. You show up for worship, corporate worship. And God, is going, God shows up. He fills it. And he fills it with worship. And he fills it with whatever. But it, I mean, if we're engaged, if we've truly created, like we can show up here and actually not create any space. Like we can just show up, drive our car here. But if we actually create space, this time of the week actually goes to work in us on some level and changes us, maybe even if it's just a little bit, right? That's why we create space and God fills it. Please, please create space beyond these walls. Like, create space because God fills it. This is, this is why we would do things like Sabbath and solitude and silence, because if we create space, God fills it. I'm right in the middle of days of awe right now. So after I get done preaching here, I'm going to go uh, grab lunch, and then I'm going uh, I'm I'm to head to Denver for a few days, and I get home Tuesday afternoon, and my flight better not be late because i got to be home Tuesday afternoon because Tuesday evening is the beginning of Yom Kippur, 26-hour fast. 
for me. Uh, no food, only water, no showers, no brushing teeth. Ooh, it's not good. Um, uh, no anointing yourself. No, no. What does anointing yourself mean? Anything? Um, anything good? For 26 hours, you just you create space and say, God, I, I need you to. Why, why do we fast? Why do we do that? It's not, it's not a vending machine. Like, I don't put in a quarter and pull the, I don't, pull in, I don't put in a fast, pull the lever, and then God gives me stuff. That's not why we We fast to create a space that God is then able to fill because I've, that's why we do things. Why would I memorize the text? Why would I, why would I go about the work of like memorizing the Bible and putting it inside of me? Because I believe that if I create space, that's one way to create space, God would fill it. Like, do we believe that? Say these words after me as the rain and the snow, fall from the heavens. Is everybody playing? Or just a few, three people up here I can hear. As the rain and the snow, fall from the heavens and do not return to it without watering the earth causing it to bud and to flourish, providing seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So my word goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish the purpose and the desire for which I sent it. Those are words from Isaiah 55. God says, my words never return void. That's a pretty good promise. My words, your words return void all the time. My words screw things up all the time. God's words never return void. I don't know how that works. not even my job. All I know is if I create space with the word of God, he will fill it. If you create space for God. Now, why is this important? Why is this important? Well, one way to word it would be uh, John 15. It's one of my favorite passages. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Ah! Doesn't say that. Let's say that. The Greek word is aro. Say aro. Are here in John. Are. Okay? Are does not mean cut off. It can mean, I can explain why the translators did that. There's good reasons. It's easy for a preacher to sit up here and take pot shots at translators. Really easy. Because there's nobody here that knows. And except for my Notre Dame students. And they know. They know a lot more than me. So I've got to be careful here. Anyway. So the word doesn't mean cuts off. The word can mean take away. The word can mean take up. The word also means lift up. The word is lifted up, aro, to lift up. Uh, Jesus says to the, blind, to the healed paralytic, take up, lift up your mat, and go, aro. That's aro, uh, to lift up. It can mean to take away. I, I've, been, I've been in, in vineyards all over the Middle East, many of them in Turkey. I've seen this a million times. In a Middle Eastern vineyard, you have a vine. If you have a shoot that starts taking off too low, you have a major problem. It's never going to bear fruit because any fruit that touches the ground is going to be what's called be'ushim. Say be'ushim. It's going to be a stunted growth. It's never going to develop. It's going to be bad grapes. Any vintners in the room? I don't need to know. Anyway, so what, what, what every vine dresser does is they lift up. They'll take a plank. They'll take a piece of wood. They'll take a rock. They'll tie it up. They'll take that shoot and they'll lift it up and give it a chance to grow to where it can bear fruit. What the Greek actually says here, I am the true vine, my father is a gardener. In context, he lifts up every branch that doesn't bear fruit. Now, don't worry. Later in the passage, he does cut off branches and throw them into the fire. So if you're like, but I want the fire. Good news. It's still there. But here, here I have a different picture of God. Here I have a God that's like, if you don't bear fruit, I am going to give you everything you need to help you bear fruit. Fruit. Now, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. 
Well, what is that? That's creating space for God. And if we create space for God, he remains in us. He fills it. If we create space, he fills it. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you create space, and I fill it, I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, so we have to create space so that God will fill it. So what for living stones? Well, let's talk about living stones. What I believe, I'm assuming, I don't know this, I haven't read your membership booklet. I don't know if you have a membership booklet. Um, I, I I assume this is the whole verse that your church is named after here in 1 Peter. Watch this. As you come to him, the living stone, so there's a living stone, capital S, just to be clear, who is that? Jesus. Very good. Not a trick question. As you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Listen, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Now, here's the thing. Jews don't say the word temple. The word temple is too holy for them. So they use the word oikos. Say oikos. Oikos is the, is the Greek word for house. Now Paul uses it because Paul's in the Greco-Asian world, so he doesn't care about some of the other rules. But Peter here is talking about a spiritual house, which is also called a temple. It's also called a temple. Now you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, what did we say about the temple? The temple was the what? The temple was the place where, where heaven met earth. Why is it so important that all of you living stones here at Living Stones create space for God? Because you need God to fill you so that you can all be living stones. Now, here's the thing. You are but a stone. You are not the temple. Nor does that passage that we love to quote in Corinthians we're like, don't you know that you are the temple? And we're like, yeah, I'm a temple. No, you are not a temple. You are just a stone in a temple. In Corinthians, it is you all, plural. Don't you know that y'all is what we say in Idaho. Now, we're not as crazy as Tennessee. I spent time in Tennessee this summer, and I learned about all the eight different forms of y'all. We're not that nuts, all right? We just have one y'all. People over here are weird, but nevertheless. It's you all. It's y'all. Don't you know that y'all... Are a spiritual, are a temple? Well, we'll look at that in a moment, but it is important that we create space for God to fill because you all are living stones that God wants to build up as a temple right here in the south side of South Bend. So that heaven could meet earth. And it's no longer about physical spaces. I got news for you. Actually, this building has very, very, very little to do with the thing that God's called you to do in South Side, South Bend. But you all, now that's the temple. That's the temple that God cares about. This physical building is awesome. It's actually amazing. I love the facilities here. It's kingdom speaking, you, you are what God wants to fill, not this place. You are all together. When you're here, when you're out there, when you go, you all are like spiritual living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what happens is this. What happens is this, this picture right here. We had the, we had the temple, but now you're the, let's go to the next slide. Now you have become, here in South Bend, you have become that place where the two overlap. Can I do one more passage to close? I'm probably like super late. Are you guys okay with that? 
You guys are like, my kids are in childcare, so yes, please keep going. <laughs> it's not childcare, it's whatever. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm a parent, I know. First uh, Corinthians 3. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul's like, listen, we all build spiritual houses. God builds spiritual houses, but the foundation is the same for every single one of those homes. Jesus. Amen? Clear on that? Don't need to spend any time there? Great. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The Jewish idea of fire is not the Greek Dante view of fire. It's not a fire of destruction and a fire of torture. It's a fire of refinement. It's a fire of cleansing. It's a fire of purification. That's what fire is in the Jewish mind. Now, what happens? Paul says you need to be very careful how you build on the foundation here at Living Stones. Be very careful with what building materials you build with because fire is coming. Now, what does fire do to gold, silver, and precious stones? It smelts it, and what's that process for? Refinement. When you're done putting gold, silver, and precious stones in fire, you have a better version of the thing that was already there. What happens if you put wood, hay, or straw in fire? Not a trick question. Gonzo, right? I just, had a, I just had a conversation with a student here in South Bend two nights ago. They texted me, and they wanted to know like, all about like, heaven, like how does heaven work and all this stuff. There's a lot of things I don't know about heaven. I haven't been there, and the Bible really doesn't talk about it in the way we think it does. And, and some, no, nobody giggled at that, but you were supposed to. And, 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 and one of the things that we talked about is like, God's inviting us to live a particular way now. To live a particular way now, because one day we'll end up in heaven. I think we're all waiting for like, God to flip a magical switch and now all of a sudden I'll love all the stuff that I spent my whole life hating. But I was saved, so I got there, and then God's like, and now you love it. Why would that be true? Like, where does it teach that in the scriptures? Like, God's saying this, this the, the building material you build with, well, listen, 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 listen. It will be revealed with fire, and the work will test the quality of each, the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what, he has built, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through a wall of flames. That does not sound like the picture of heaven that sounds like very much fun. Like I'm concerned that some of us are going to show up in heaven and be like, heaven sucks. I can say that here. I said it in the first service. It got a better reaction. Like, we're going to get there, and it's like, I spent my whole life hating unadulterated generosity, and now I'm in the presence of unadulterated generosity, and, and God's like, well, welcome to the party. And I'm like, but I worked for all this stuff, and I, sh- I deserve a paycheck. And God's like, but I spent the whole time telling you it wasn't about a paycheck. There are no paychecks here. It's just free gifts of grace, and I'm slinging it out to everyone who wants it. Well, I don't want, but I don't want it. I put on all this stuff, and I've worked in the heat of the day, and blah, 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 blah. And Jesus is like, well, welcome to the party. Isn't it great? And you're going to be like, no, and you should have flipped the switch to make me love it. (laughs) Be careful how you build, because what you build with matters. The building material you build with matters. Now, here's, now here's, here's where that, we always quote this thing out of context. He just got done talking about that, and now Paul says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are the temple? And the new NIV tries to get the plural right here. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Be careful with how you build in Corinth. And they're a mess. I don't know about you guys in South Bend. Be careful of how you build. 
Because a day is coming. Now, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Listen, God's got your back. Don't worry about that part. Do not worry about protecting your church. God, God will fight your battles for you. Do not worry about trying to figure out how to, you just be worried about the building material. You go be the temple. You go be the place where heaven meets earth. That is our concern as God's people. For God's temple is sacred, and you together, y'all, are that temple. Amen. Let me pray. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that do, in so many ways, feel like a second home for me. Um, People that I'm getting to know a little bit better, starting to remember some names, starting to know some faces, starting to get some Facebook friend requests. God, I, I pray, I pray for this group of brothers and sisters here that you are building into a spiritual house. You have been for quite some time. You have a spiritual house that you have built here in Southside, South Bend. I pray for them. I pray for, I pray for the way that they'll build. I pray, with the, I pray about the materials that they'll choose, that they will choose materials that might not be the cheapest, they might not be the most efficient, but they are the ones that will survive a day of fire. They are materials that will be refined and they will get a better version. They won't be burned up. That This will not be a church that makes it, that is saved, even though as one escaping through a wall of flames, that this church would be a spiritual house built with material. God, I, I'm excited for what you're doing in the midst of this church. I'm excited for the future that you're mapping out for them. I'm excited for the things that you have around the corner for them. I'm excited. God, would you, would you continue to work in this place my prayer is that you would provoke this people. You would irritate this people if you have to. You would annoy this body of people to remind them that they ought to create a space for you because you long to fill it. You long to fill it. But you remind us that what we find when we create that space is not a God who is the angry dad, not a God who just can't wait to scold us because we weren't there for the last 30 years, but a God that simply says, I'm so glad that you've shown up. God, would you remind each of us of that truth as individuals? Would you remind us as a church? And would you do something incredibly special right here in the South Bend area? God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.